Yo, and welcome into week eight of pre-gaming the SEC brought to you by Walk-Ons Sports Bistro, walk-ons.com. If you are listening to this podcast, like we always tell you, chances are you're in an SEC city or you will soon be in an SEC city. So there's either a Walk-Ons already in your location or one is coming very soon again, walk-ons.com to find the nearest location to you. Jacob Hester, Chris Doring, and Big Terp here with you for another episode of pre-gaming the sec like i said it is week eight this thing boys is going far too fast we are past the halfway point it is going far too fast and uh once we start getting the games that uh, dwindle down only five sec games this week you know everybody's kind of gearing up for the home stretch and uh it's interesting we'll take a look at some of the home stretch schedules that uh, remain for the sec but there are some challenging schedules for teams particularly in the sec west that will uh, have a lot to do with what happens in the college football playoffs uh those rankings coming out here just uh, under two weeks i think and so uh yeah, november the first yeah it'll be interesting to see how much impact certain teams in our conference whether they get in or not or keep other teams from getting in it'll be uh interesting watching this thing play out yeah, and I know we're going to get into it, but I kind of like the fact that if you look in the East, we have two teams right now that are still trying to fight for the SEC East title in Georgia and Tennessee. And when you look at the West, and it's going to change after this weekend, Ole Miss, LSU play each other, which we'll certainly get into, but you have three teams right now that still control their own destiny in the West. And so, you know, for all of the Alabama and Georgia, who's the third best team, you have a couple of teams, certainly Ole Miss and Tennessee, that are stepping up to the plate. I feel like this is a, an interesting week for opportunity and and really, you know, this was the equivalent to Saturday and the PGA Tour or, or a major where you're, it's moving day, an opportunity to position yourself uh, in good shape down the stretch. And you, you mentioned LSU and Ole Miss. LSU, if they win this ballgame, they are tied for first in the SEC West, which seemed impossible just a couple of weeks ago after that that brutal loss at home to Tennessee. And when you look at that loss, I mean, outside of that game, and, and that game just started as poorly as it possibly could. I mean, yes, you lost to Florida State, and you're trying to figure some things out. You missed the extra point there at the end to send it to overtime. I think a lot of us, and I'm, I'm including myself in this, I kind of forget when I look up, LSU is 5-2, and two, right? They're 3-1 and one in the SEC. They've gone on the road against Auburn. They've gone in the swamp against Florida. They beat Mississippi State. Brian Kelly is the only LSU coach in the history of the program to win in the swamp and win at Jordan Hare in the same season. Mm, I know that's kind of hard to believe, isn't it? Very hard to believe. I assume that that schedule has always kind of fallen that way where LSU has had to go on the road to play each of those same schools in the same year. Yeah, Um, we lost at Auburn in 04 and we lost there in 06. Yeah. Yeah, and we beat Florida in 04, lost there at 06. So even in years where we were, you know, playing for national championships, it didn't happen. Yeah, that's a, it's a tough, tough uh, schedule. Remember a couple of years ago, it used to be, I believe, that uh, Auburn would catch Georgia and Alabama uh, in close to successive weeks, I believe. I think there was a bye week in between, but would catch both of those at home in the same year and would have to go on the road in the same year. So it, it's nice when you get yeah. both of those teams to come to your venue but having to, to return the favor in the it's same hell in those other years, no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> and all, hey, all that's probably going to go away here in a couple of years, or maybe who knows when Texas and Oklahoma come into the league, they're going to look at those schedules. And you know, there's going to be some games that we love, like the LSU Florida game, probably going to go away. We'll see if they're able to find a way to keep that one. Uh, we saw Tennessee and Alabama. I know a lot of people for a long time because of the way that series went. A lot of people wondered if that was going to stay. A series, I, I think that one's probably safe. You have the Iron Bowl, you have that game, but we'll see because some of these rivalry games that we love are probably going to go away. And let's do it like we always do. We always go hold my beer. We always go last call, and then we start to kind of getting to the actual pre-gaming previewing portion of the podcast. Then we go to best bets and the hook. By the way, my gosh, I just you know, I was close. Mm. I was close. I was a hook on on two games from being three and zero, but. I was one and two, and we'll certainly get to that when we get to our best bets portion of the show. But CD, let's go ahead. Like, hold my beer can mean a whole lot of different things here on this podcast. It can mean good, it can mean bad. And we kind of just made up our own rules when it came to that. But I'm going hold my beer in a positive light to start out here because Jaden Daniels, 
he looked bad against Tennessee, mm. right? He looked like a quarterback that was leaving a clean pocket. There was plays to be made, and, you know, they were having success with the ETs and the TEs and every kind of stunt that you can run. And I understand, like, he was counting in his head that pocket is going to collapse because when it did, it happened very quickly. And so he's getting out of the pocket. There's throws to be made. But he bounced back in a big way yeah. down in the swamp. 23 of 32, 349 through the air, three touchdowns through the air, on the ground, 14 for 44, added another three touchdowns. He accounted for six total touchdowns in this game. If you go back and you watch the tape, it was by far his best game, staying in the pocket, reading the defense, and most of all, what we talked about last week, trusting your dudes on the outside. Brian yeah. Thomas, Kayshawn Booty, Jeray Jenkins, Malik Neighbors. Hey, you have an elite receiver room. If you have a one-on-one -on -one matchup in college football, it's almost like 80% the receiver's going to win because yeah. you're going to have the ability to go make a play and also college DBs panic and they're likely to get a pass interference call because of them panicking. And so for me, he understood that. It was the first time that he did understand that this entire season. He didn't have that at Arizona State. Now, he did a little bit his first year, his freshman year, which was his best year at Arizona State. He's realizing, okay, I've got playmakers. If it's one-on-one, -on -one, that to me should be open. I should throw. We saw Brian Kelly in the Tennessee game yelling, you've got one-on-one, -on -one, throw the ball. He took that advice. Uh, advice. It was his best game by far, like I said, in the purple and gold. On the ground, we know he can do that. But it was through the air, going through his progressions. Florida jumps off sides. The center you know, has a real headsy play. He snaps the ball, knowing it's a free play. Jaden Daniels calmly stays in the pocket again, knowing that you can't go wrong in a free play. Looks to the left, got safety help. Looks to the right, no safety help. Dre Jenkins, touchdown. He had some real growth CD yeah. in this game. It's one thing to recognize that you have a free play. It's another to make a good throw and take advantage of that opportunity. I thought he dropped that in. That was one of his best throws of the night. And just in general, you're right. I remember watching that that uh, that Tennessee game, and you could read Brian Kelly's mouth. He's very demonstrative, one-on-one -on -one with his hands yeah. and, and telling Jaden Daniels to take some shots. We had Scott Rabelais on our show earlier this week from the, uh, the Baton Rouge Advocate who covers that beat there. and. He, he talked about how Brian Kelly's been emphasizing sometimes you got to take some chances. Sometimes you got to throw into tighter windows. Sometimes you got to trust your receivers. And you mentioned those receivers. I think we forgot how talented that receiver room is. Um, those guys have gone largely underutilized, but yeah. giving them an opportunity, having played the position myself, you want the, the quarterback to trust you that you're either going to go, you're going to go make a play, you're going to get past interference, or at worst, you're going to knock the ball down and, and preserve. Uh, any sort of uh, turnover for taking place. So I, I think that it was nice to see his evolution. My my hold my beer is on the other side in a not so great way. And I'm going to go like you did with your alma mater. I'm going with my alma mater. Florida came into this game being really low in terms of, of the FBS rankings when it came to third down conversions allowed. They said, hold my beer. We're going to make it so we're the worst in the entire country when it comes to third down conversions. Yeah. Uh, conversions for the opposing offense Jaden Daniels not taking anything away from him he was eight of nine on third down passing for over 170 yards six of those moved the chains one of them was for a touchdown yeah Florida has has definitely had trouble getting off the field on third downs but they made Jaden Daniels look even better I'm interested to see going forward how much of Jaden Daniels success can be attributed to what he did personally and how much can it be to what Florida's done on the on the bad side of allowing quarterbacks and opposing offenses to convert third downs. And I've, I've said it to you before, Hess. Unfortunately for this coaching staff, for Billy Napier, for Patrick Tony, the defensive coordinator, who I believe in, you inherit largely a, a roster that's deficient of what you need most in this conference, and that is defensive line talent, size, ability, and depth. And yeah. Florida just does not have that right now. You can't get a whole lot of penetration up front. In the run game, you can't rush the passer very well without having to bring additional guys and create pressure that way. Uh, and, and Florida's paid the price for it. You can go back and look at the recent commitments from this recruiting class. It's actually a pretty good recruiting class that's being put together. Primarily focuses on the defense, particularly the defensive line and the secondary. Florida's got help on the way, but unfortunately yeah. it's not coming this year. And it's going to require some, some guys you know, kind of taking on 
uh, a bit of a uh, a painful growth process as they they kind of work through that development that uh, will need to take place. Yeah, one of my favorite things to do, it's typically on Thursday, you and I, once you get settled in Charlotte, we'll kind of send each other some film and we'll talk through a play. And tonight I'm going to send you some Florida DB play because that's a real issue for them. Now, some of that is because I think of the actual call, but some of it is just individual performances and not in a good way, right? They have some real issues back there. And when you look at teams in the SEC, we know they can take advantage. This isn't the old SEC that I played in, right? It's not the SEC that you played in where Florida was the only team that was throwing the football around. Like you're about to face a couple of teams that aren't specializing in throwing the football, but they certainly can. And so they've got to get that issue fixed because if they don't, it could be a much longer year for the Florida Gators. And look, I'm not even going to well, yes, I am. Uh, four straight, five of six, eight of 10, 10 of 13, like in the LSU <laughs> series, like, you know, whatever. But the real issue is, and somebody, I think it was Saturday down south, they do a good job of keeping up with stuff like this. The last 14 games in the SEC, Florida's 3 and 11. Yeah. And do you know who those three wins are against in the SEC? Or move. No, Vanderbilt's th- probably they're, thrown in there. They're 3 and 11 in the last 14. That's second worst in the conference. Obviously, Vanderbilt is number 14 there. Uh, but in that that stretch of games, they've won three. One against Vanderbilt last year, two against Missouri this year, and the third, ironically, was Tennessee last season before they really started to hit that upward trajectory yeah. that they're on now. So, you know, it, it's it's embarrassing. You know, it, it's it, I think it is uh, it, it illustrates where Florida is right now, and I think there's an unrealistic uh view amongst florida fans just at how how this program is i think winning that game against utah may have given florida fans some unrealistic expectations about what was possible this year and where the program is but i believe that florida has the right guy i think you believe that florida has the right guy knowing billy napier the way that you do and uh, i think things will get back on track it's just going to require patience and that's not something that most fans bases have a lot of unfortunately <laughs> no not at a place like florida not at a place like i played at lsu like lsu's five and two three one in conference play and it's like huh yeah they're you know they're okay okay maybe a little bit better than i thought like that's just the expectation and that's the narrative here in baton rouge like that's a team and maybe if they beat Ole miss who's number seven in the country six and two that probably changes it a little bit but like five and two and three and one conference play that's that's not the standard, just like four and three and one and three, certainly not the standard in Gainesville. And that's okay because that means you play at an elite place. That is a blue blood. No doubt about it, man. Well, uh, let's uh, transition on time to take our our last look at the games from week seven and uh, what a slate it was heading into the, uh, what we thought nationally may have been the best weekend in a long time with six top 25 teams facing off other top 25 teams. I would say for the most part, man, nationally, it paid off. I mean, it 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 was everything it was billed to be. So let's uh, take a look back, and we can do that nationally as well as we uh, as we take our last call. All right, Big Turp, welcome into the show. I know you're still mourning the Atlanta Braves loss, just like I am, but glad to have you here. So let's get into some uh, last call. We don't have to talk baseball. Eh, no. Baseball's over for us. Baseball's over. Baseball yeah. is dumb and it's over. <laughs> it's football season, baby. Uh, let's <laughs> let's just start out hot here. Why don't we go last call Tennessee? I mean, biggest win in forever for the Vols. And that was awesome. I mean, the, the entire scene, pregame, midgame, postgame was awesome. But let's go Tennessee Vols last call. Has the biggest thing for me when it comes to Tennessee was seeing that they were the aggressor And rarely are teams the aggressor when they're playing Alabama. Most of the time, Alabama has you being reactive, has you on your heels, but they were the ones that was dictate that were dictating what was going on. I think on both sides of the ball, to be honest with you, I mean, you know, Alabama escaped in a lot of ways because of Bryce young, but there was tremendous pressure being put on, on Alabama's offense. One from Tennessee's defense, they were able to kind of harass uh, Bryce Young in a lot of different instances where other quarterbacks probably would have, you know, gone down or or thrown incomplete passes. He was able to make something out of nothing. But secondly, the pressure that the opposing offense, that Tennessee's offense puts on an offense to try to hold serve, to try to be able to keep up with their scoring pace that they're able to to play at. And Tennessee, they did everything they they needed to do to create coverages and mismatches for their receivers. I thought, you know, time and time again, whether it was the tempo, 
whether it was the alignment, whether it was some of the switch releases, they were able to get Jalen Hyatt matched up on Marco Hellams, a safety, which was an absolute mismatch. And Hendon Hooker identified it and delivered a perfect strike. Six catches for Hyatt, five of them going for touchdowns. I don't know if I've ever seen a, a touchdown to catch ratio like that before. Yeah. And we talked a lot about him last week. And this isn't any disrespect to, you know, Tillman being out for Tennessee. He's a great receiver. And who knows, you know, what this offense can be once he comes back. But Jalen Hyatt had stepped up in his absence. And when you look at his career, Hyatt only had a little less than, I think he had right 509 career yards coming into this season. That's two total years, 41 total catches. This year already, he's got 33 catches, 595, and He's got 10 touchdowns. Like when you have that many touchdowns in one game, obviously that helps, but he has stepped up to the plate. And also the stat that kind of stood out to me, his freshman year, he averages 12.8 yards per catch. His sophomore year, 10.8 yards per catch. This year, 18 yards per catch. And so he has turned himself into a big play threat as well. He has been key for this Tennessee run. And obviously Hendon Hooker, obviously the running backs. But yeah. Jalen Hyatt has really been – in the absence of an all-SEC receiver, stepped up and been that all-SEC receiver in his own right. Has how many times have you seen it before where, you know, you're going through your days in college and there was a highly recruited player, somebody that's really talented that just hadn't had any sort of sense of urgency, all of a sudden see the light switch come on and you're, you're able to see a guy play with a much greater sense of urgency. I feel like that's happened for Jalen Hyatt. I feel like yeah. that's happened for Ramel Keaton, another guy that's been around for a long time there that has some, yeah. some ability that's taken advantage of the opportunity presented by uh, the absence of Cedric Tillman. But this was one of the big questions heading into the season regarding Tennessee's offense. Like, who was going to step up and be a playmaker? They lost Valus Jones Jr., who was the X Factor last year. And we thought, well, is it going to be one guy or is it going to be by committee? You're much more dangerous yeah. when it's by committee. Cedric Tillman was a dependable, known variable but around him we just didn't know well you've had guys like Hyatt you've had guys like Brew McCoy who made a big play down the stretch to help get yep. him in field goal range Cedric or excuse me Ramel Keaton stepping up against Florida and then again the other night against uh, Alabama that group I think has gone from a big question mark to being the best group of wide receivers in the country or excuse me in the conference and when you get Cedric Tillman back in there it's virtually unstoppable with those guys being as diverse and talented as they are you know, if, if I'm splitting hairs here, I just need Keaton to keep running just a little bit yeah. longer on some of those uh, right. shots. I, it pissed me off to all, all <laughs> I yelled, in as I'm watching I yelled, that game. I, I yelled. I, as an I, offensive I, player, I'm like, keep running. But it's surprising because he did it against Florida. He laid out and got yeah. horizontal and made a catch, you know, exactly how you teach it. But it, you could see the frustration on Hinton Hooker's face when he throws that ball down the sideline. I hate the idea, and in, in, in it's become – to me, it's the exact same thing that we talk about in basketball where everybody gets so intrigued by the dunk and having the big finish mm -hmm. that they don't learn how to shoot free throws. As yeah. a receiver, you know, everybody wants to go up and high point the football. But sometimes if you just hold a guy off, stack him like you're taught to, catch the ball over your outside shoulder while you keep running, it ends up being a better play for your team. Everybody's it, so yeah. – they don't trust their technique enough and want to turn around and try to catch the ball with their, their face – back to the line of scrimmage instead of catching it over the shoulder. Real quick, before we move on, let me be old man yelling at the sky. It happens at every level. Yeah, I coach flag football, third graders, and they want to do the same exact thing. We're playing last night. We got a dub, so it worked out. One of my best players, he stopped. The ball would have been perfect right over the shoulder. He stopped, tried to jump up, and tried to high point the ball and couldn't get there. And yeah. so it's something that you know a lot of young football players are seeing. Sometimes, like CD saying, I know we sound old. It's okay just to make the over-the-shoulder catch, and mm -hmm. you know what you're doing then? You're continuing to run down the field. Do you know what your job is, Hester? Your job, you're like To the, run fullback dive? You're, well, no, yeah. not that. Your job, you're like one of these ancient uh, keepers of the secret, you know, the guy that has the information that everybody else has forgotten about. Your job is to teach these guys the proper technique, and I, I did this last year with my son's team at PK Young High School. We would work straight pat and go for the majority of our individual period, having the quarterback throw it over the outside shoulder, having the receivers stack and get vertical and catch the ball over that outside shoulder. Like yeah. it is such a lost art that people like you and I need to emphasize it so that those next generation of receivers are able to understand how you play the position properly.
we sound very old. Just listen to us. I promise it will work out for you. Just do exactly what CD just said. There, there's our uh, TED talk right. for the afternoon. Thank but I feel, coming. I feel everything <laughs> that you just said. Hey, it, it just we'll quickly roll into Alabama. Obviously, last call here. We spent a lot of time there on Tennessee with the major victory that they got against Alabama. Alabama's gonna be fine. They, they really are. Like we have seen this team lose before, and if you play them the next week good luck because they're going to come out and they're going to fix a lot of their issues. They still control their own destiny to be Pastor, able to go to they, the though? SEC. Are they going to fix their issues? I, just, so, I think we've seen this before. But here's the thing, though. Here's the problem that I have. We've seen these penalties. We've seen the mistakes in special teams. We've seen the, the offensive line busts. We've seen guys not recognize hot routes. We've seen all of this stuff dating back to last season. Auburn, they should have lost that game. Texas probably should have lost that game this year. Texas A&M probably should have and could have lost that game. And it finally catches up to them. Like if it was one game where you have 15 penalties and the yeah. rest was clean, I wouldn't necessarily freak out about it. But we're talking about the most penalized team in all of FBS football. That yeah. to me has become a historical uh, expectation for this team now. It's, it's a bit of an epidemic. And I just, I wonder, you know, Coach Saban better than I do. I have to imagine this is eating him up. For whatever reason, this group of players is not listening or the group of coaches that are beneath him are not teaching properly because this this team does not look like the, the, the past Alabama teams that we've come to expect. And if not for Bryce Young, this team would have lost probably each of those games that I just mentioned. Uh, because yeah. Bryce Young is an absolute superman coming back and rescuing his team time and time again. He is. I mean, you get the, the Arkansas and LSU games from last year into what you just said. hundred percent agree with you. But I say they're going to be fine because with everything that they had in this game, and I'm sitting here and I'm looking at it, y'all know the numbers, but 17 for 130, 17 penalties for 130 yards, and one of the worst turnovers that you're going to see, right? The special teams guy, he thought it hit the other player. The rule is you can pick it up, you can advance it. Even if you fumble it, they get it back. It's still your ball. That's what he thought. You can't think in a matchup like this. You have to know. Well, he messed up. So you have 17 penalties and a bonehead special teams turnover. And it still took Tennessee's best shot. It took everything Tennessee had. It took a heroic performance from Hendon Hooker. It took, and not, not, not taking away from Tennessee, but Alabama had all of those things against them on the road. And it took a missed field goal from them and a made field goal from Tennessee right there at the buzzer for them to lose this game. That's why I say they're going to be okay. It might not look pretty, but still think about that. 52-49. Tennessee did so many great things in that matchup, but because of Bryce Young, but look, Bryce Young's on your team. You still only lost by three. Yeah, I agree with you on all of those points. And certainly you could take the half full glass perspective, or you can take the half empty glass perspective. There's not a whole lot of teams other than Alabama that could overcome as right. many self-inflicted wounds. And you look at your team and say, hey, let's just clean it up a little bit. And we win probably all of these games by double digits. Yeah. Um, I'll say this though. Hinden hooker is my Heisman favorite. I've been singing this to you back yeah. at the beginning of the season, but Bryce young is the most valuable player, the most important player, the guy that's the biggest difference maker yeah. in the, for his team. And, and again, that's not disrespectful to Hinden hooker. Cause I've been incredibly amazed, but you saw the difference in back-to-back -back weeks from week six to week seven. And not just at Alabama, how important the quarterback position is, what a difference maker the quarterback can be when you have an elite guy from what it looked like at Arkansas without KJ to what you saw last week, what it looked like at Kentucky without Levis to yeah. this week, what it looked like in Tuscaloosa without Bryce to this week. That position is continuing to separate itself as the most important position in all of sports as the proliferation of, of the passing yeah. game continues to evolve. No, I completely agree with you. That's a great point. I haven't thought about that. Like when you've missed your quarterback in the SEC, it's been some very, very lean times. I mean, even like on a smaller scale, when LSU lost Jaden Daniels in the second half of the Auburn game, they yeah. threw for what, five yards? Yeah. Right? I mean, and that's a guy, Nussmeyer, that came in that at least had some action, but you throw for five total yards in the second half. And so, yeah, it's across the board. It's a great point. I hope no quarterbacks are listening. Their heads are already big enough. No doubt. What else we got, Big Turk? All right, let's go Kentucky. Uh, big win for Kentucky. They beat Mississippi State. They had a two-game losing streak coming in. They go into the bye now, and then they get Tennessee out of the bye. So they yeah. were facing Ooh. the uh, possibility of a three-game losing streak going to Knoxville. 
but instead they get the 10-point win over Mississippi State. So we'll do Kentucky first, Mississippi State next. But, CD, we'll start with you. Last yeah. call, Kentucky. Ten points, it felt more like five touchdowns, didn't it? The dominant yeah. performance, and obviously the pick six late helped close that margin of victory to make it a little bit tighter on the scoreboard. Yeah. But can't be – I can't say enough about how impressed I was to see Kentucky's defense embarrassed in the second half against South Carolina the way that they were, to have the ball – just run down their throat the way that South Carolina was able to do it um, to see what the offense looked like. We talked about, you know, the difference when you have your quarterback versus when you don't uh, having Will Levis back there was a big time shot in the arm and literally talking about a sh shot in the arm. He went and got a shot in his left shoulder, <laughs> came back out and helped take his team to victory. But the biggest thing that I look at has is this whole story that we were being told throughout the month of September. Our offensive line's not great. Our running game's not where we need it to be. But when we right. get Chris Rodriguez back, we're going to look more like that team that everybody has expected to see from, from uh, Coach Stoops the last few years. And he has delivered in that. He is an absolute workhorse. He brings yeah. a, an element of physicality that uh, Kentucky was desperately missing. And I think the whole team feeds off that, including the defense, who seems to have elevated their level of physicality as well with him back in the game. Yeah, let me go ahead and make some Ole Miss fans mad. I think if Chris Rodriguez would have had a game before the Ole Miss game, if he had had some time to get his body conditioned, that might have been a different outcome. Now, yeah. he was good in that game, but he couldn't play the full game. Remember, mm -hmm. he's on the sideline, and we all would have been there. I mean, he's huffing and puffing because you can be in the best shape of your life. Football shape and that shape are completely yeah. different, and there was chances for Kentucky in that game. Now, credit Ole Miss. They found a way to win it, but this Kentucky team – Yes, when they don't have Will Levis, they're different. But when they don't have Chris Rodriguez, they're different. And now you're seeing a fully, uh, you know, fully healthy, fully balled in, fully on the team, fully, you know, has everything ready to go, Chris Rodriguez. And 31 for 197. Like, he's got his win back. He is ready to go. He's got the conditioning part under his belt now. He breaks off a, a 50-yarder. He's got a couple of scores. This team, like, it's got two very important players on offense. It's Levis and it's Rodriguez. And mm -hmm. that's why, like, going into a bye week, you get another week to get Will Levis healthier for that Tennessee game. Tennessee knows this, but Tennessee's fans need to know, like, Kentucky's not an easy out. You don't just, because you beat Alabama, roll the helmets out there and win a game like that. Yeah, no doubt, man. You want to uh, go on the other side of things, Big Turp? Yeah, Mississippi State, who, I mean, I'd say the week, week leading up to this game was the most we'd talked about Mississippi State in a positive yeah. light in a long time of are they in that third or the third best team tier, talking about them with Ole Miss and Tennessee in that light. Big time loss for them by, by 10. Uh, CD, we started you last time. Hess, you look like you want to jump in here. Yeah, I did because what I say last week, I said for whatever reason, this is a game that a Mike Leach team seems to always yeah. lose. You do everything to get to this point. And I know they weren't undefeated to this point. They had a 13 to nothing lead against LSU. They don't win that game, but then they found a way to bounce back. And you're like, okay, well, maybe, maybe this is going to be the time where they had these expectations. They go on the road against a ranked team and they win as a favorite, but you just don't get it done again. I don't know what it is. There's a lot to like, I'll tell you but what you can't is. fall in love with it because it's going to disappoint you every time. Yeah. Well, I, First and foremost, credit, again, Kentucky's defense. They gave a lot of different looks up front. They didn't make it easy for Will Rogers to simply, you know, get to a different play because of a, a look that the, the defensive line was giving. They didn't run the ball much. They certainly didn't have a lot of success. I think the first carry of the game went for 16 yards, and they ended with 22 on the night. So it was not uh, the effort that we had been bragging about and praising, you know, yeah. Mississippi State for in recent weeks. But it's a simple to me, Hess, and I went back and watched this game yesterday on, on the coach's tape, it's as simple as losing on first and second down. In that first quarter particularly, Mississippi State found themselves in big holes because of, yeah. of penalties on first down, because of negative plays on first down. The average third down to gain was 9.3 on the day for Mississippi State. And Mississippi State's offense is not built to convert those times, types no. of down distances, right? It's a methodical, it's a stay ahead of the chains, it's a leave, leave us in a third and, and four or less kind of situation. And look no further than these numbers right here. They're three of 11 on third down. On third down and longs, which is defined as nine 
or more yards, they were 0 of 5. When yep. they're third and short, 1 to 4, they convert 3 out of 4 of those attempts. So if if they're going to have success on offense, and we've seen them with more explosiveness this year down the field, but that's not typically what an air raid offense is all about. They have to be able to stay ahead of the chains. They got to avoid penalties in the early down sequences. They got to gain a couple yards on first and second down and leave themselves in third and five or less if they're going to have an opportunity to consistently convert and put those 11, 12, 13 play drives together that they need. And that's why as we get into talking about Alabama, I'm worried about their ability to drive like that consistently against the Alabama defense. What you have to do to beat Alabama is have the big explosive plays like Tennessee did. You're not going to line up and go 12, 13 plays against the Crimson Tide defense. Therefore, there is still some evolution that needs to take place with this air raid offense in Starkville. There is, and this is not a great matchup for them, or at least it hasn't been in years past. I know Alabama's given up a lot of yards through the air, but like CD said, it's been with explosive plays, not kind of going down the field and taking small chunks of yardage along the way. And if you're a Mississippi State fan, you're like, man, I mean, we're sitting there, we're five and one, we're favored on the road against Kentucky. And then now you're staring a really, really mm-hmm. big potential to be five and three, have a two game losing streak. And then you can't let that thing spiral because Yes, you get Auburn at home, but, you know, Auburn's starting to look like a team that's figured out that their two best players are the running backs. And then you've got Georgia and then you've got the Egg Bowl to finish up the year. So like right now, even if you beat Auburn, right, and you lose three games that you're going to be an underdog in, like you're going to be a team that feels like they were disappointed. You're going to be seven and five with a win over East Tennessee State. Right. And from five and one to seven and five. It's going to be a disappointing season. You felt really good about the start for the Bulldogs there. And unfortunately, if you look at the, the remaining schedule for all the teams in the country, they have the most difficult schedule. It was voted number one or rated number one in terms of most difficult remaining schedule at this point out because of all those brutal matchups that they have, not only in the SEC West, but having to play Georgia as well. It's going to be a tough draw. Hopefully Mississippi State can circle the wagons and get back on track because I do feel like they've made a lot of progress this year. And I think if they limped into the finish line, a lot of that progress would go overlooked. Yeah, that's not one of those things you want to be number one in, no. by the way. Yeah, it's not. You want to be 130th. Hey, and Hess, you know who's number four in the country? It's the team across the uh, the state there that uh, is up north. Ole Miss has the fourth toughest schedule in the country as they play the rest of their games out to the end of the season. Well, let's just go ahead and last call Ole Miss then because they've got a big matchup coming against LSU this weekend in Baton Rouge. It's going to be the 3.30 Eastern Time CBS game of the week, and so there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on this game. And they had an interesting game with the Auburn Tigers. Now they went out there. I think it was like 14-and-a-half point spread. I don't know why I know that. Maybe it's because I lost it by the hook in our best (laughs) bets. But they win by 14, so it's not like they had this collapse. But – there was a couple of moments in this game that got a little hairy for the Rebs. And look, they ran the ball 69 times. I'll say that again. In one single game, they ran the ball 69 times for 448, three touchdowns on the ground. So they've continued to be the team that has one of the most talented running back rooms in the entire country, certainly in the SEC. And they won this game kind of like they've won a lot of games. They don't put a lot on Jackson Dart's plate. When they do ask him to make a play, he throws three touchdowns. He added 115 on the ground. But it just it felt like their defense maybe took a step back in this game, CD. Yeah, I thought their defense took a big step back. We've been bragging about how good that side of the ball has been for Ole Miss, and they gave up a ton of explosive runs, 11 runs of I believe 10 yards or more uh that they gave up let me let me confirm that real quick uh they gave up 301 yards his chances that your stat is correct yeah 11 big plays of 10 yards or more on the ground that they uh they gave up and that's just uh that's that's hearkening back to what that defense looked like in Lane Kiffin's first year in Oxford Mississippi we felt like they had come a long way and credit Auburn credit Tank Bigsby and uh, Jarquez Hunter for for putting those those types of runs together. Uh, but they they had an opportunity to separate. They're up 21-0, and they have a chance to close that game out, and they start allowing some of these big plays to get Auburn back in the game to give them some, some hope. Uh, right. Those are the games that if you're going to be an elite team, you shut the door on before you get to halftime. You give no opportunity for a team that's unsure of themselves to yep. come back. 
Uh, so as good as I, I feel about them's best start in a long time at 7-0, and I do have some questions about the defense. Offensively, it was quite the uh, contrast to what we saw in the previous week, right, where they were able to uh, run the ball for 448 yards in this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, the previous week, I think they passed for 448 yards. So you're seeing a little bit of a counterpunch. You're seeing a team that has some versatility and flexibility with the way they play offense. And number two, Jackson Dart's looking an awful last, awful lot like that number two from last year. Uh, Matt Corral was an amazing quarterback for them that it was in complete control of this offense. And with Jackson Dart's emergence in not only the run game, but his ability to understand, throw the football with more accuracy, you're seeing a, a, a team that can beat you in a couple different ways, which makes Ole Miss even more dangerous. It's going to be interesting this week. And again, we'll get to the pre-gaming portion of pre-gaming the SEC later on. But I'm I'm curious to see what LSU does defensively because they sh- they've shown that they'll bring something out just for you know, one singular game and kind of a unique to them like they did against Mississippi State. And certainly I expect to see the same against Ole Miss. Just quickly on Auburn, like it's just it, it, it's going to continue to be a disappointing year. You're three and four. You're one and three in conference play. You still have some bears left on your schedule. And we we all kind of felt like it's going to be one or the other for Auburn. You're either going to be a surprising team and maybe win nine games or you're going to win three games. Like we didn't like it never felt like there was an in-between. Now, I am excited that they found out that their two best players are Bixby and Hunter. Mm-hmm. I, I Like, I would keep them on the field at all times. Like, 20 personnel, like a pony package. Uh, hell, if you want to go 21 with a, a tight end, whatever you want to do, that's fine. But make sure those guys are in the ball game. They are dynamic. They break tackles at a high clip. They get stronger the more that they get the ball. They are true bruisers in the backfield. Like, just figure it out. Ashford has running ability. Bigsby and Hunter are right there with him. Come up with an offense. It might not be in today's offensive mode, but that's okay. It can be a different thing than everybody else is doing because that's your best players. Ride them into the sunset because that's your only opportunity for success. Those two guys combined to average nearly nine yards per carry as uh, Bigsby went for 179 and Jarquez Hunter went for 80. That is your your go-to. It seems like you said there's been maybe a little bit of a governor or something that's prevented the uh, number of touches that those guys were getting. But uh, maybe finally, you know, Brian Harson and his staff are are taking the governor off and, and giving the ball to those guys and allowing them to be the workhorse. Those are old school running backs. Those are guys that, you know, back in the day were the bell cow backs. And it's nice to see them being utilized a little bit more in that style. Yeah, they would never, ever come off the field for me. Yeah. All right, Big Terry, where are we going next? All right, uh, we hit it a little bit in um, Hold My Beer, but let's last call LSU Florida before we uh, move on to Georgia dominating. Hey, what was – I can't my, – my iPad's freezing up. What was the final score on that one? <laughs> I know it was a 10-point differential. Oh, okay. Sorry. Oh, there it is. For, my iPad's back. Uh, 45-35 LSU. Sorry. It froze up for a little bit. Yeah. And just – and I wanted to hear you say it, but – well, nice job of not saying. Let, let, let's go, you know, real quick. I, I want your evaluation. If you had to rank, you know, I've lost four years in a row this bet to Peter Burns on SEC this morning. If you had to rank the outfits, you know, the, the costumes that I've had to yeah. dress up with for our TV show, how would you rank them? Because I know, you know, there were, I saw some of your commentary on Twitter. Um, interested to get your thoughts. All right, I'm going to go number one. Actually, let's go, uh, let's go four to one. Ascending order. Yeah, okay. yeah, let's go four to one here. Um, let's see. I'm listing it out right now. I'm gonna go number four, the yodeler. Yeah, yeah. That means it was, it was good. Was I mean, fine. what did y'all? You know, I I don't know how y'all got there. I don't remember how y'all got there. You know, but it was okay. It was good. It was fine. it was fine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was fine. Which you know, you probably don't ever want to tell your significant <laughs> other. Uh, number three was Tiger King. Obviously, yeah. Tiger. I thought it played off. It was within the moment. I thought it was Tiger timely. King was good. It yeah, was in the midst of the pandemic timely. when you know Joe Exotic was a popular character in pop culture here yeah. in our country. So, yeah, okay. Uh, Mr. Peanut was still really, really, really good. I mean, it was the whole like I was on with y'all, yeah. and I could, I could not see y'all, but I could hear y'all snickering. And I was so jealous that I couldn't see the outfit until I got home because I was on the bureau cam. So I, yeah. I was just staring into a camera at LSU and I just, I could feel the wheezing. Like I, I could hear it, but I could feel it too. And I'm like, man, I can't wait. And then when I got home, 
I mean, the whole deal. I just, yes. I died laughing. It was tough You're asking questions with a monocle in. I mean, you know, it's not <laughs> something we're used to in today's society. So having to carry around a conversation mm. with a, a monocle was a, a yeah. bit of a challenge. But, but I, I, it, I this, mean, so CD, this was your favorite? This was the your CD. Your, it's not even close. I mean, it, because you had the frown face paint on, like it just, it caught you in so many moments. <laughs> and when I looked up and T-Bob and I were doing off the bench and I look up and we had... So we have four big screen TVs behind, like kind of behind the producers. And we had three of them on the SEC network because we, we were just waiting yeah. and we were doing a commercial and we kind of, you know, got, got busy. And when we both looked up at the same time and I see you and Brian Kelly and PB and you're in full clown makeup with a frown and Brian Kelly's laughing, T-Bob and I lost it. Like it was yeah. organically. The moment was one of the funniest things I've ever had in the studio. I'll say this though. Brian Kelly was awesome with it. Obviously his team won, you know, so it makes it a little easier to deal with kind of the, uh, the whole shtick that was uh, taking place, but you know, it, it was, uh, it, it's, it's fun, man. I love, I love our bet. I hate losing it every year, but I, I love our <laughs> bet. And I, I love how many LSU fans uh, that I'm, I'm surrounded by that. I'm good friends with you, T-Bob PB, uh, Marcus Spears, Booger McFarland, yeah. like, and I, Greg Stringfellow, I hear from all of them, all of you guys, I have to listen to when, when we lose that ball game. So it's, uh, especially PB, I don't know if there's a worse loser. I said our worst winner. I said mm -hmm. it on the show. You know, some people are sore losers. He's a sore winner. I don't know how you could be a sore winner, but PB perfects mm -hmm. that. And every year I got to end up listening to him. Mm -hmm. I mean, just imagine, let's say that the series only plays every year one more time. And let's say LSU finds a way to win that one in Baton Rouge. And then it kind of goes away for a period of time and you have to dress up again. And then PB just never has to pay up on his portion. I know. I'm worried about it. I feel like time's running out having to I go to too. Baton Rouge next year. I don't know. It's a great opportunity. And, and, and this one kind of felt like maybe one that was going to slide your way. Well, the last three have, I mean, Florida was favored That's by true. 21 <laughs> in, in 2020. They were favored by double digits That's... in Baton Rouge last year. They're favored by two yeah. and a half in this one. So this was actually mm. one that, felt the least likely and still yeah like i mean look I, I know we're we're you know up against the clock and we're continuing to talk about some of the teams in the sec so i'll close the book just asking you this question like somebody that's played in this series you played in it all four years and, yeah. and i did as well did you ever think that lsu because florida's had their run certainly in this series but now the series is exactly even yeah did you ever think lsu would have a run of 10 of 13 I did not think that that was possible because it used to be such a back and forth series. Mm -hmm. You know, it used to be one that, that those games were frequently exchanged. And when I was a kid growing up, it was ironically the road team that usually won that series back yeah. in the, in the eighties. Um, but I, I, I think, you know, for me, I had a, a, a weird realization. I flew Monday from Charlotte to Daytona where I spoke to the quarterback uh, club there. A lot of Gator fans, obviously, and we're talking, you know, with the Georgia game coming up here in a couple of weeks, uh, I mentioned something about the need to, to get over that Georgia hurdle. And then all of a sudden I remembered like, shoot, we have more problems with LSU than we do Georgia at this point in time. We got to get over the LSU hurdle that's presented itself for us for the last decade plus. It, it's wild. And look, I grew up watching you and in, in, in the Florida Gators because I was an offensive guy. You were scoring all those points. And then my high school quarterback, Brock Berlin, goes to Florida. And so mm -hmm. I'm paying attention to Florida. And I, I just I. I just never thought the series would be at this. And and look, again, there's times where Florida's dominated. Now LSU's kind of dominated the series. And it has kind of been a back and forth. And, and you know, since, was it, 68, 69, whatever year they started playing this every yeah. single year, certainly in the 70s. But it's just, it, it's, it's been unique, to say the least, the way some of these games have gone for the Florida Gators. I mean, yeah. a shoe being tossed, a 58-yarder in the fog, um, a, a field goal, a fake field goal that's bounced right up to the kicker after it hit the ground. I mean, it's been a wild. It, I mean, team. even Florida's way, Darius guys going the wrong way. Yeah. Florida gets a victory on the goal line. It has been a wild series. Yeah, I was going to say last year, uh, uh, a team running the same exact run play over and over <laughs> again with no ability to stop it. So, yeah, it's been uh, it's been an interesting one. I hope that there's a way to preserve yeah. that that rivalry because I do think it is a – one that uh, both fan bases enjoy. I, I, to me, it almost stands out as one that's a little bit more of a healthy rivalry. And I know there's been some some moments of uh, of of conflict between the two schools dating back to the the hurricane reschedule and everything else. But I always honestly think I saw a post where Albert and Mike Tiger were were 
you know, both schools posted them dancing together. I just, I, I don't think yeah. you see that with other mascots. And, uh, you know, it seems like the fans are, are, are somewhat cordial to one another, at least in my experience. And, and look, I'll, I'll say this. And, you know, I've had some Florida fans that have been fantastic. Very few have, have been uh, Twitter trolls, if you will. So I, I enjoy it. I, I truly do. But like when, when I played against Florida, like it felt like, everything I watched growing up on TV, like, and it felt like the biggest moment in LSU and Florida. So many, like in my life watching, you know, the success you had when you were playing Kevin Falk in 97, when LSU takes Florida down and just like time Oh three, Florida was the only loss LSU had in the national Mm -hmm. championship year. Just that game means so much. And I know it's me personally, it's probably you personally. And it's sitting here and I'm looking at it in my office. I got a picture of that game. I hope it doesn't go away. I know it probably is, but I'm just going to enjoy it for as long as we have it. Yeah, no doubt, man. I agree. What else we got, Big Turp? Right, let's hit the dogs. Um, last well, week we were talking about – can be a lot what, of teams. Oh, the oh, number the one team dogs. in the country oh, we yeah. saved for last. Dogs. I know it has something to do with the opponent, but I felt like this was the most complete game that we've seen from, from Georgia since yeah. that week one opener against Oregon. Uh, they started fast. They scored touchdowns, I think, on on four of their, their first drives or at least had scoring drives in those first four possessions, something that Kirby emphasized was necessary for them to, to get back on track. Stetson Bennett throws a couple touchdowns after going three games without throwing one, and the defense you know, is lights out and pitches a shutout. Like yeah. I, I don't know that there was a more perfect script for what Georgia needs right now than to have Vandy roll into town and to dominate them in all three yep. phases the way that they did. Yeah, I agree with you. And let's add a little extra here, a little land yap to the conversation. Eric Gilbert. Eric yep. Gilbert, I mean, only two catches, 16 yards, but a touchdown. And I've seen Eric Gilbert in person when he was at LSU. I mean, that was as a true freshman. I know he's gone through some stuff personally. But if he is ready to go for this football team and they add another dimension to this team, because we all have been waiting on Gilbert. All right, let's see when he's going to play. Yeah. We know what Washington is. We certainly know what they have when in Bowers. But if they can add him to the field, because Bowers, Gilbert, like they can be guys that maybe you try to play it as 12 personnel, 13 personnel, but they can play 11 personnel, right? And they can create mismatches. And you're talking about opening it up in the run game as well. When you have guys that you know receiving-wise as tight ends are fine, but you can also add them into the run game, Ooh, man, that, that could be a scary thought for the Bulldogs. I agree with you. Look, 55 nothing. I know it's a quick one. This was their most complete game. And if they start to get that confidence back, which we know it very easily can come back to them, and they've got a game coming up in – Jacksonville that they're going to be getting ready for just like the Florida Gators a bye week and you get healthy all of that could be the scary team that we thought they could be in the preseason yeah I agree with you and and just to go back to your point about the tight end position Brock Bowers was getting so much attention early in the season for how he was being utilized defenses are singling him out and you've seen Darnell Washington become the beneficiary of that the last two ball games for Brock Bowers against Auburn two catches 36 yards no touchdowns Against Vandy, four catches, 15 yards, no touchdowns. Teams are taking him away by design, and it's allowing opportunities for other guys. If Eric Gilbert could step up and, and kind of you know, be the guy that, that we thought he could be, and I, first and foremost, I hope that his, his mental health, that his right. physical health and everything is in line there. Uh, but if he could gain some of, that, uh, some of that, that, that the presence that he had back when he was a freshman at LSU, he could really flourish with the amount of attention that's put on Brock Bowers every week by opposing defenses. Hey, and Vanderbilt, you lost 55 to nothing. Uh, another, you know, I just. Glad you got those three, three four, wins in September. Yeah, you're three and four. You hit the over. You hit the win total. Uh, you know, not a game we're going to spend a lot of time previewing. You got at Mizzou. Probably the best opportunity for you to get a victory, although Blake Baker's got that defense playing so well right now. Yeah. I mean, you talk about an improved unit. I don't know that an SEC win comes, but hey, two and a half was a total. You hit three, so there's a positive for you. Bandy. No doubt, no doubt. It's a winning season. Let's, uh, before before we move on, I do want to hit Arkansas. That was a big win over BYU. Going to BYU, snapping a three game losing streak. By by the time that thing kicked, it was an even spread, and they come out of there with a 17 point win. So let's get a quick last call on the Hogs. Yes, I thought this was the most important game of the weekend. You know, I, I know you could talk about. Uh, what what Alabama and Tennessee uh, Alabama and Tennessee had in terms of of opportunity on the line, 
But in terms of teams that needed to have the greatest sense of urgency, it was Arkansas because yeah. of the three-game losing streak, because of the negativity. And I don't know about you, but the criticism that I heard directed at the two coordinators, Kendall Bryles on offense, Barry yeah. Odom on defense, was the most undeserved criticism. I know you're not happy, but the reason why your expectation levels are where they are now after two seasons uh, heading into this year in Fayetteville for Sam Pittman's squad was because of those two coordinators, what they've been able to do. Yep. And to judge Kendall Bryles on the previous week's performance without K.J. Jefferson in the, in the lineup against Mississippi State is completely unfair and unreasonable. That offense, with him back at the helm, eight straight possessions they were able to score on, and it just speaks to the leadership and the stabilizing factor that Jefferson is for that offense and the team in general. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I mean, you're talking about two coordinators that uh, almost every team in the country, like if you want to get rid of them, that's fine. Yeah. They'll they'll certainly take them. So, yeah, just relax. You had some very close losses. You had some losses that looked like they could have been wins. I understand that. And then I'm looking at, obviously, the A&M game, 23-21. You had multiple opportunities to win that one. Tough loss. You didn't bounce back like you thought against Alabama. You made it close a couple of times. They pulled away. I understand that. And then you ran into a team at Mississippi State. That was not a great matchup for you. But to go on the road against BYU, a tough physical football team, get a win there. Now you go to Auburn. Then you have Liberty. Okay, two games you're going to be, you know, probably favorites in, at least have the opportunity to go out there. I hadn't seen the Auburn and Arkansas line um, because, you know, we've got a bye week coming up here. But two games you might be favorites in. Certainly you're going to have opportunities to win those games. And then you finish out LSU and Ole Miss. We'll see where you go from there. Another winnable game against Mizzou. You're going to be just fine. Is it the season that you thought initially? Maybe you're thinking 10 wins after the first three games of the year. No, but you still can go to a really nice bowl game. You got your quarterback back. You're going to be fine. Just like A-Rod always says, just relax. Relax. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. Look at you. You want pregame? Yeah, let's pregame, man. Yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's pregame here because we got, you know, we got a nice, little, decent little slate here little five gamer uh one of them being ut martin tennessee but just like really quick on that game coming off their biggest win in a decade plus what do you want to see from the vols against ut martin i mean for me you're probably going to get maybe a little bit more in the weeds here cd for me just just go out there and take care of business don't be sloppy don't have a ton of penalties don't have turnovers i don't really care if you win 21 to nothing i don't care if you win 42 to 7 like just go out there have a clean game, stay healthy, continue on with your season. That is the most important sign of a team that understands how to handle success is the way you come back from a big win, the way you prepare and practice that week, the way that you you come out with an energy level and a, a, a level of play that has nothing to do with the team that's on the other sideline. This is an offense that's executed at an extremely high level. I want to see them come out and not turn the football over, not commit penalties, not take negative plays, Keep the role, keep the role going. Cause I, I don't know, Hest, if there's a better schedule that has played out than the one that Tennessee has, the way that that, that got them to this point, that prepared yeah. them for that Alabama win. And down the stretch, having Tennessee uh Martin right here is perfect before you get into the heart of that SEC East schedule and the challenges that await with with Kentucky and Georgia on the horizon. It's perfect for the Vols, and you want to stay sharp. You want to execute. You want to get some guys an opportunity to play with your twos and threes. That's what this week is all about. So don't take a step back. Don't take your eye off the ball. Don't yep. lose momentum. Yeah, I agree with you. Like, and you know, the most important thing, like actually come out of this game healthy and be smart too. like respect your opponent, but also be smart. And this coaching staff probably has a little bit different of a rotation planned out for this game. And you, you've got a, a you know, a bear. Like that's what we call it here on pregame in the SEC coming up with Kentucky and with Georgia. Okay. Those are two very difficult games back to back, two physical games back to back. So be smart in this game. And that's all you need to see if you're a Tennessee fan, a clean, smart, healthy game. All right. Uh, one of Vanderbilt or Missouri will get their first SEC win this weekend. 14 point spread in favor of Missouri. What do you think about that? I think the odds makers know that even though both teams are in the same situation in terms of number of wins in the conference right now, that there is a big discrepancy between 14th and 13th or 14th and 12th, wherever you want to put Missouri right now in the conference. Uh, the thing to me that stands out has 
I, I've heard people talk about drink maybe being on the hot seat. Drink is not on the hot seat for a number of different reasons. First and foremost, the recruiting class they put together last year was better than Tennessee's. It was better than Florida's. They're recruiting a little differently than what Missouri has been able to recruit in recent years. Two, the way that these teams have played in the last three ball games, how competitive they've been against uh, Auburn on the road, a place that's a, a challenging venue to go play in. The way that they played Georgia at home and letting that one get away yeah. late, but he being in the ball game up until you know the final couple minutes, and then going to the swamp and giving the Gators all they could handle. Like I feel really good about how hard this team plays, and to me, that's an indication of where your players are with respect to the head coach and the coaching staff. I, I think they're heading in the right direction, and I think they get their first win this week over Vanderbilt. Most improved defense from 2021 to 2022. This is opponent adjusted per play. Missouri is up 49 spots mm. from a year ago. I mean, this defense looks different. I'm a gigantic fan of what Blake Baker does. I think he is a rising star. And I know he's already been a coordinator at, at Miami. He's been obviously at LSU. He's been a lot of places. But this is somebody that I think has done a hell of a job there in Como getting that defense Right. I like Missouri in this one. Uh, Vanderbilt, I think, is is showing that there's small steps into getting into the right position. I think they're doing it. It's going to be a slow burn. That's just the way it has to be at Vanderbilt. I think Missouri has had some really bad luck. I don't think they're as bad as their record shows. In fact, I know they're not. I like Missouri in this one as well. Big Terp. All right. Um, not asking for a best bet or even on the record, but your initial thoughts on 14. Uh, that's about right. I think it's about right. I, I really do. I, I think Missouri's defense is is really legit, and I think Missouri has more offensive weapons right now. I, mean, I would have a lean towards Missouri. I Me mean, too. like you said, I, I have a hard time believing that 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 Vandy's going to be able to score a lot, and that's that's funny to talk about because in September they were putting up points galore. Even when they moved from Mike Wright to AJ Swan, they have some some players. Will Shepard is a legit. Uh, receiver in this conference, but they've they've kind of ground to a halt here recently. 150 total yards against Georgia on Saturday. So I, I just I don't know where the points come from for for Missouri or for Vanderbilt against Missouri. Okay. And I, I'm confident that the Missouri offense will be able to to score enough to cover that number. I'm not I'm not putting it on my best bets, but I, if I had to lean one way or another, I would definitely go Missouri minus the 14. All right, let's go night game under the lights. In Williams Bryce, uh, AM, South Carolina, Aggies, three point favorite here. CD, we'll start with you. Man, this is a tough one to figure out. I think, you know, as you look at um, the way that people look at AM, ironically, everybody's kind of opinion has changed based upon the way that they played Alabama in a loss. Like, uh, <laughs> it, 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 maybe that speaks to either how low the bar had gotten for expectations for this, this team that was ranked number six at one point in time in this, the season. Uh, but the defense is getting better and better. Uh, I don't know that I necessarily trust the offensive line still, but I saw receivers stepping up. Lucene Muhammad yeah. uh, made some plays. Evan Stewart finally showed up big time in, in the you know final couple minutes of that ball game. He's a, a get-it-to guy on your offense. I think they're coming along, but I also think that South Carolina figured something out in the second half of that ball game against Kentucky, and that's, hey, Let's take our offensive line deficiencies away. Let's get the ball out of Spencer Rattler's hands quicker. Let's use the playmakers around the quarterback position. And Marshawn Lloyd has been one of those big-time playmakers. Uh, I actually lean. I know that, that South Carolina hasn't beaten AM since the, the, uh, the Aggies joined the conference, but I actually kind of lean towards South Carolina getting a home uh, victory for whatever reason. You know what? I, I'm kind of the same way right now. And one of the stats that I've been looking at is – Offenses with the best touchdown rate coming into week eight in the SEC. Now, certainly Tennessee's number one. They have a touchdown on over 8% of their drives. South Carolina is right at 6% of their drives. They're not really far off from some of the best offenses in the SEC. Texas A&M is actually next to last, right? They only have a little bit, like right at 4% of their drives end in a touchdown. That offense still has so many question marks. South Carolina showed some true grit in that Kentucky game. I think Texas A&M did as well against Alabama. This game being in Williams-Brice, it almost feels like it means more to South Carolina than it does Texas A&M. Yeah. I think South Carolina needs to, and I think they will, 
kind of piggyback off what they did against Kentucky. And I don't know why either, because t- Texas a and is a favorite on the road here, yeah. but it just feels like the home dog in South Carolina is going to treat this like a marquee matchup and be ready for it. All right, Victor, let's finish up strong here. Cool. Let's go uh, A&M. I'm sorry, Mississippi State, Alabama. This is in Tuscaloosa. Bama, 21-point favorite. Hess, I, I'm sure you saw the statistic, but Mississippi State has not scored a touchdown in Bryant-Denny Stadium since 2014. Dak Prescott, yep. the last Mississippi State player to score a touchdown for the Bulldogs from Starkville. That's hard to believe at, uh, on the surface, but as we talked about earlier, it's a bad matchup for this air raid offense. It, 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 it's tough to, to sustain drives against Alabama's defense. I just think between the challenges that that offense faces against the, the defense and the fact that they're catching Alabama at a bad time, like if Nick Saban and his coaches ever had the attention of their team, yeah. it would be this week. After all the penalties, after all the mistakes, after the loss, the team has got to be listening. And I there, there's no room for error. There's no net at this point. They've got to play with an increased sense of urgency, and I expect to see that this week against Mississippi State. Yeah, this has just always been a bad matchup, and it's been a bad matchup. The stat you just said, really for a long time now, even in some of the best years for Mississippi State, for whatever reason, Nick Saban, well, I mean, for whatever reason, he's been a bad matchup for a lot of teams, but Mississippi State just not had any success in this one. I don't think they're going to have any again. Alabama, after a loss, it's just so difficult to beat them multiple times in a row. You just, it's just not going to be done. And they always kind of refocus what, I don't know why they have to have the loss to do it, but for whatever reason, they just refocus and they find a way. I mean, you're talking about a team that has not won their division and won two national championships before. Like they didn't win the West two different times and won a national championship because of a loss, but they don't allow it to affect them moving forward. And I'm still, a fan of what Mississippi State is doing there in Starkville. I truly think with Mike Leach, with Zach Garnett, they have some really nice pieces. I'm still a believer in Will Rogers, but it ain't happening this week. It's going to be Alabama, and I kind of think Alabama big. Hmm. All right, last one. Ole Best Miss for last, baby. At Let's LSU. Go. LSU, the two-and-a-half-point favorite over the undefeated number seven team in the country. Yeah, don't really understand that one, but Vegas is smarter than me. We'll see. Yeah. I'll what do we got? You. The LSU guy, what you got? All right, so this one's all all about Jaden Daniels. It's all about LSU's offense. I truly think that Ole Miss is going to have success offensively. Now, how much success they have, obviously that's a factor into the game. LSU's defense, though, they're going to come up with a plan. They're going to make Jackson Dart beat them, and if he can, you tip your cap because you're going to come in and you're going to try to stop the run because that's what Ole Miss just does at such a high level. I mean, I was breaking down – their runs earlier. I mean, look, three outside zones, 22 inside zones, 13 man combinations, two powers, 15 counters, two draws, two pull leads, and four trick plays. So 69 times and a couple of quarterback sneaks in there as well. It's hard to to really hone in on what they're doing because they do a nice job of switching it up, which I love. If you're going to run the ball, don't just run inside and outside zone. Run a lot of different things, and that's what they do. So LSU's got to stop that, but I think it comes down to Jaden Daniels. If he can play like he did against Florida, if he can stay patient in the pocket, if he can trust his receivers one-on-one, we're talking about an LSU victory coming on next week's podcast. I truly believe that. But if he has the same game that he had against Tennessee, it is not going to go your way. I know it's a team sport, but it comes down to one player. And Jaden Daniels has shown you that he has grown. He has shown you that he has the ability. He's shown it in his career, not only at LSU at Arizona State, but it's got to be consistent. And if it's consistent, the Tigers can win. If it's not, it could be a long day. Yeah, we've talked an awful lot about the importance of quarterback play in college football these days. I'm with you on that. And I also think, you know, that that's what I'm – if I'm going to test Ole Miss, I'm going to test Jackson Dart beating me throwing the football. We've seen some instances where he feels like – it seems like he's starting to have better command of the offense, of his ability to identify the receivers to go to. Obviously, Michael Trigg is out for the rest of the year, a tight end that he's got a great connection with. But if I'm going to lose, if I'm LSU and I'm Matt House, I'm putting a plan together like like you talked about that that is designed to force Jackson Dart to beat me through the air. I think LSU has the the defensive players athletically that can match up physically, that can match up and create some issues. I'm just 
doing everything I can to force Jackson Dart to beat me. And I just, I don't believe that he's going to be able to do that. I'm actually riding with the Tigers here on this one too, bro. It's going to be a great atmosphere. It is a CBS first trip to Tiger Stadium this year. Obviously, you had a big game against Tennessee. Look, we talked about it. It was 11 a.m. kick, and you got your butt kicked. You did not show up for that game. The opening kickoff, you gave it back mm. to Tennessee. So here's your chance for redemption. You have an opportunity to go out there, redeem yourself, and get a massive victory. Because if you do, then it sets up another matchup with Alabama, and you're going to have an opportunity to control your destiny in the West, but you cannot overlook this Ole Miss team. I don't know why you're a favorite. Vegas knows more than I do. They are undefeated. They are number seven in the country. You are not ranked currently. So if I'm Ole Miss, I'm feeling disrespected. If I'm LSU, I'm realizing the opportunity that I have, but I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a hell of a football game, and I hope it lives up to the hype. So, all right, best bets. We're not going to recap that. Okay, we'll put it out there later. The hook got me twice. I would have been three and zero. It's a whole thing. Yes, yeah, so you went two and one, bro. Did I go two and one? I don't even know. Okay, I went two and one. I would have gone three and zero though, right? It was a hook they got me. Yes, you would have gone, gone three and zero. Ole Miss fourteen and a half got both of you guys. That's what it was. I knew it was a hook there somewhere. You you, you, you hit the under Georgia Vanderbilt fifty seven in a oh I did you're right in a fifty five zero game. Oh you're right. I'm mad at myself though, Big Turp, because I See, texted look at me. you. I'm so smart. I was on Kentucky <laughs> getting four, and then decided to go with the say everybody when they need a bailout goes with the over, and in, instead of sticking with my Kentucky plus four play. I texted uh, Big Turp and said, hey, man, change me up. I want to go over in that uh, Mississippi State-Kentucky game. You look up at halftime, I think it's 3-3, three to three, and all over betters are, are about to throw their tickets away, only to have that thing get close down the stretch due to a pick six and some short field opportunities. But mm-hmm. that one did not hit. What was my record at the end of the day, Big Turp? It was 0-3. Uh, oh, you, you were on oh. Ole Miss, Bama, and then that over. You had two chances in the Kentucky game. The original would have, Kentucky plus four would have hit. And then me putting out the incorrect graphic of yeah. under 50 and a half. If we had just left that up. And I corrected you on that. And not to mention, Alabama gets an interception in the end zone. Up seven, runs it back to the 30. If they don't call pass interference, I'm betting that Alabama ends up at least kicking a field goal, if not a touchdown, to probably give me a chance to cover that one as well. So those are the stories. That's what gambling's all about, right? The bad beats, the stories of close losses. Right. I fall into, you know, everybody else's category that's a, uh, a gambler in the, uh, the ones that got away. And, and mm-hmm. 0-3 is all I got to show for this past week. Hey, it's okay. Do you want to put out four? Maybe I know it wouldn't have many games. Uh, I, yeah, there's, gonna, only, there's five games. It's there's five so, games, and, man, and one of them's an FCS opponent. So I don't even know if we can pick that one. But uh, <laughs> that's okay. Okay, we're gonna pick three games. We'll have those out for you probably late, late Friday or early or maybe Saturday four, morning, or maybe four. I'm not gonna commit right now. Possibly. Okay. Four. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. This has been week eight of pre gaming the SEC. We would love it if you could go to our YouTube page. If you could subscribe to that so you get notifications when we post our new videos, also Spotify and Apple, pregaming the SEC, like, subscribe, the whole deal, and on social media, Instagram and Twitter, at pregaming the SEC. Big Turp does a fantastic job of putting those videos on those platforms as well. We will see you next week. I'd like to say same time, same place, but look, Chris Doring's busy. I mean, he's just the man of the hour. He's got a lot of things going on, so we'll see if we can have it for you a little bit earlier next week, and we will see you next week for week nine of pre-gaming the SEC, brought to you by Walk-On Sports Bistro.